If you missed last Sunday, we did hit pause in our series on the birth of a movement. We talked about what do you do when tragedy strikes. I would definitely recommend that you go and watch that. I think for many of you, it's the season that you're living in right now based on all the responses I got this week. And I pray that you'll do that. But today, we're going to dive back in to the book of Acts. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to camp out this morning. I think it's going to be a unique morning as we look at the story of this early church. You know, we, we go back two weeks and we found this early church blowing up in a good way, right? So they are on fire for the Lord. They are on fire for each other. We know that in one day, 3,000 were added to their number. In that one day, those that were being saved, and we know that they would go house to house, baptizing, they would go house to house together in this movement because literally, I remember two weeks ago, we looked at a map People had come in for this festival from literally all over, and now they're in Jerusalem. Now they're a part of this new church, and they had to take care of each other. So they would sell everything they had, and they would share it because the government wasn't going to help them. The religious leaders of the day weren't going to help them. So this early church was literally on their own. So they would take whatever they had, they would get rid of it to take care of each other. It was not teaching that that's what we should do now, but there were principles of it, of generosity that they learned in that early church that literally the church today is here because of what happened 2,000 years ago. But in the middle of this story is this today, what we're gonna talk about, this, this little passage that we go, whoa, 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 whoa. That really happened. And what does it mean to me? Acts chapter four, verse 36. Would y'all stand with me today as we read God's word together? If you've got the app, it's probably the easiest way to follow along because you got all the notes in there. If not, go to Norster Church, Georgia, and hopefully you got a little sermon notes on the way in. So let's pick up the story. Remember, they're sharing with one another as they have need, right? And that's just sort of the model that's been set up, this model of generosity that they didn't give 10% like what we do today, right? 10% your tithe. They gave everything. And that's what we find out in the story. Acts 4, verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. That was his nickname. That was what he was known as. He was the guy everybody wanted around because he always made whatever room he was in better. How many of y'all know somebody like this? It's like they show up and everybody brightens up. Raise your hand if you know somebody like this. How many of y'all know somebody who's not them and every, when they show up, everything gets gloomy? Raise your hand. Don't point. That's rude. All right, here we go. He, sold, he was from the tribe of Levi, came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. So we don't know, we don't know how much this was and the amount is way less important than the act. So Barnabas sells this field and he's like, I'm gonna do what everybody else is doing. I'm gonna bring my money. I'm gonna give it to the apostles because literally it's the only way to move the gospel down the field. Verse 1, chapter 5. 
But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira, they also sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. All right, if you've got your Bible, I want you to circle that word claiming. Ananias does the exact same thing that Barnabas does. He sells his land. But he didn't bring what Barnabas brought. Barnabas brought everything. He just brought a little bit. All right, let's keep reading. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So he claimed it was something that it wasn't. And his wife goes, yeah, that's cool. I'm good with it. And I understand what it's like to get my wife's consent. All right, and so he, he's is this okay for me to do? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 this is fine. Look at what happens. Then Peter said, somehow Simon Peter reads the situation. And he says this, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Ananias, you're not being forthcoming, man. You're not owning up to what's going on. Look at what he says. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was all yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were really lying to who? What's it say? As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everybody was terrified. Then some young men got up, they wrapped him in a sheet, they took him out and they buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened, and Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Her answer was yes, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of comparing, of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they'll carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in, saw that she was dead, they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church. The understatement of the year, all right? And so great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else heard what happened. It's like, dude, you are not gonna believe this. So the question of the day is this. Why did God leave this story in scripture? Why was it so important to the Lord to leave this? That's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, would you step in these rooms this morning? Compass True North, those that are watching online today. And Father, would you speak to our hearts? Because we don't wanna leave the same way that we walked in and we wanna get what you have for us to get. And Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, Turn around and tell somebody, now that was inspiring, all right? And so turn around and tell somebody, would you? <laughs> all right. So being the, the seasoned leader that I am, right? I've been around a long time now. And, and seasoned leader means I've been around a long time. 
Today, I thought, we're gonna look at this a little different. So I've invited two friends up to do the message with me today, and I think you're really gonna enjoy it. So would y'all give a great North Star round of applause to Cole Ragsdale and Casey Lynch. Would y'all give them a hand this morning as they come up? So many of you know Cole. Cole is our reach pastor. He works with our online. He works all over. He preaches all the time. He speaks to our different groups. Casey works with our high school students. So... Casey, I'll ask you first. When you when when I ask you to do this today, you're like, absolutely. What's the passage? And then you read the passage. What first went through your mind? Appreciate it. <laughs> that's good. And it, that's it's very helpful. Um, so, Cole, I want to ask you this. You, you're a, you're a recent. Both of you guys are recent seminary graduates. Would y'all give these guys a great round of applause? Both finished their degrees. Very nice. Um, Cole, why do you think God left this story? I mean, this is one of those stories that you're like, why in the world would God leave this in the Bible? Why didn't this get sanitized out when we were cleaning things up? What would you say? I think it comes down to that God cares about his people and that the church is plan A for planet Earth. Mm. And so for us to see that he is passionate about preserving this movement that has been born in the book of Acts. You know, and there's a word, so there's a word that underlies this whole story, all right? And if you got your outlines out, there's not a blank for it, just write it in the top because we're gonna unpack it for a second. And it's the word hypocrisy, right? So Ananias and Sapphira were claiming to be something that they weren't. Why is hypocrisy, even in this early church, God goes, it's gonna stifle, remember, it's the beginning of a movement. Why can hypocrisy stifle a movement? So let's first define hypocrisy. How would y'all say what hypocrisy is and why could it stifle the work that God was doing? I think the best way to, to kind of define hypocrisy is not looking at what I do and go ahead and elevating what somebody else does. Just in the regards of, they saw in this, this story, they see what Barnabas does and go, okay, this is how I can do it a little bit better. Uh, and so it's just elevating yourself in the story, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and, and pretending to be something you're not. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it, it's such a big deal in this passage um, because the same spirit that is promoting the growth of the early church is the same spirit that is passionate about preserving the purity of this movement. Um, even uh, so Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 through 21, it talks about how um, the household of believers, which is the church, is built upon the prophets and the apostles. And it's here in this scripture that it says that, you know, they brought it to the apostles and this is the foundation. Uh, and I know, you know, the housing market's insane right now. Uh, and, and, you know, you have people who come in and check out a house, they'll do the appraisal, they'll look at it. And it's like, if there's cracks in the foundation, you ain't buying the house because yep. there's something wrong at the root. And so it's here that God's saying, we, we've got to make sure the foundation of plan A for planet earth is preserved and is steady. You know, um, you think about this early church, Ananias and Sapphira weren't just two yahoos off the street, right? They were literally figures 
in this early church movement and people knew who they were, which meant they had almost elevated themselves and were being called to a higher standard than everybody else. And you had a word when we were talking about this earlier, Cole, you said really it was an issue that they weren't being honest. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, uh, uh, hypocrisy is not a life that is void of sin. Hypocrisy is a life that is void of honesty. Mm. Because like, uh, like we're, we're gonna sin. Like, I mean, like this morning, like, I, like I'm in that camp, but, but, it's, but hypocrisy is, but I'm gonna put out a front I mean, to God and to others that, I, that I'm not this way, that I, that I have it all together. Um, and so, cause the sin here, I mean, you, you can see it in, in verse three is that the sin was that they lied about it. Not necessarily that they withheld the money. Um, it, it was an honesty issue with God and with their community. You know, and, and you hear it said, well, I wanna go to a church where there's no hypocrites. Well, good luck, all right? And so there, that doesn't exist because there, there is sin in every place and we deal with this all the time. Casey, I wanna, I wanna approach this from the student front. If a parent hmm. claims to live something, so hypocrisy literally means two faces, right? It's an actor putting on a mask. If a parent claims to be a Christ follower and live for Christ, but yet their life doesn't walk in step with that. What can it do to the faith of a student? It's what would you say? Absolutely detrimental. Absolutely. Just because you've got a, a student at home who's trying to figure out what their faith is for themselves and they're learning these things and they're growing in their walk and yet what's exampled to them every single day isn't matching up with what they're seeing. And so trying to figure out which one is right and which one is true, man, that's really, really hard for a, a kid. So what's the difference of somebody just not having it all together and somebody whose life doesn't look like what they say? What's the difference? Somebody who's just still on the journey, yeah. they're trying to unpack it and put it together and they're gonna fail, right? They're gonna, sure. Their parents gonna make mistakes. What's the difference between that and what hypocrisy would be? It's honesty. it's honesty and it's the approach to it. I think there's, there's a way to have an honest conversation and, and to have those moments of, hey, like this is a, this is a learning moment for both of us yeah, rather cool. than painting what we do here is perfect and what everybody else does is the problem. You know what's so funny is that was my number one fear raising my kids. Mm. So when my children were growing up, my number one fear was that they would grow up and say, dad isn't Monday to Saturday, the same guy he says he is on Sunday. Because that leads so many more astray mm -hmm. than just saying, I don't know. But when we claim to be something, we are. So today, think of you, how many of you have on your dashboard, you have lights that sometimes pop on like need gas or need engine needs to be checked or one of those lights. Raise your hand if you've got a light. If you don't have that, then I'm a little worried for you. But anyways, <laughs> so we have those lights. Why do they light up? They light up to tell us there's an issue, right? Today are dashboard engine lights. They didn't pop up for Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't begin to blink for this early couple but maybe for us, we catch ourselves and go, 
I don't want to be like them, right? I don't want, not that God's going to strike you dead, but I don't want to, I don't want to live a life that doesn't get backed up with what I say. So here's a couple engine lights, ready? Engine light number one, it's comparison. It's comparison. Ananias and Sapphira were comparing themselves to who? Who in the story were they comparing themselves to? Barnabas, right? They were looking at their gift and comparing it to his gift and whether it was or wasn't gonna be as much, we don't know, but they lied about it. Why is comparison such a dangerous trap for us? What would y'all say? Mm. We get lost in looking at ourselves and looking at others. I, simply, I would say we, it, we're deciding who sets the bar. Um, so we, we look at Casey or I look at Mike and I see the cars they drive. Jeep looks great, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, and it's like, okay, that's the bar that I'm gonna set. And I'm, and I'm gonna compare myself to that versus looking at, okay, I'm gonna compare myself to Christ. I'm gonna look at who I am in him. Uh, and, and that becomes the, the place that, that I find my worth. It's like, I think it's fascinating that the etymology of Ananias' name mm. is God is gracious. Yeah. Like God is generous. And it's in this moment, he's not considering, gosh, God, you've been so generous to me, but it's like, okay, well, well Barnabas has done this. And so I, I need to, we and, me and Sapphira need to look a certain way. Um, so it's, it's this, his eyes have not been set on what he is in Christ, but instead of what he is in comparison to his community. You, and you live in a world working with students that comparison, I mean, that's when we think of comparison, we think of social media, right? Why, why is that such a driver of culture today, Casey, this comparison game? Comparison's interweaved into our entire social structure, if you think about it. I mean, yes, we can use uh, social media to look at it, but from the time really somebody's born there's a comparison that begins once you enter school. You're compared based off grades. You're compared on athletics. You're compared off of uh, whatever your passion is in clubs. There's people that are elevated. And then once you get into the um, outside of school, into the real world per se, we have this idea and this notion that comparison's done. And really, it's, it's a lifelong journey because you're looking for a promotion at your job and you're comparing yourself to the person that is also going up for the same promotion. Like it is this constant battle that we fight day in and day out. I love that because I think we nail kids on it, but I don't think comparison is something relegated to teenagers. I think we as adults, we do the same things. It never goes away. Maybe it's the, the neighbor who drove in and they got a new car or your neighbors moved, they got a new house or your best friend growing up did this and all of a sudden we're looking at my life doesn't match their life. And here's what the principle, ready? The principle is living by comparison's exhausting. It wears us out because we can't even enjoy the season we're in because we're always looking to the next season. We're always looking to, well, when this is in place, I'm not gonna deal with it anymore. When I finally get that job, I've arrived. And it leads to principle number two, ready? Principle number two, the check engine light is envy. Not only do we compare it, now we go, I want it. Yeah. Now, most of us will willingly admit 
we compare. I think we're willing to admit that. Envy, though, is not something we own up to as fast. Why? Why do y'all think we don't own up to envy as fast? I think envy is an admission to second place. Mm. They have what I don't have, and I want it. But we would never want to tell them that. I mean, like as the Georgia fan in the room, it's like, I want to host up that national championship trophy and like, but I don't want to say it, like, because Bama's doing it every year. Like, are we allowed to talk about sports? Is that okay? No, not, okay. not, on, the, not on the platform. Okay. We don't talk about um, sports here, no. And so for me, it, it's this admission of I'm not where I want to be, and I don't want anyone to know that. Yeah. Why is envy hard for you to admit, Casey? And you've, and you've probably gone through battles and gone through seasons of envy. Why is that difficult to go, yeah, I struggle with envy. Why, why is that more difficult to own up to? Envy's not pretty because envy's when comparisons become an obsession and nobody wants to admit that something has, something that somebody else has or has done has taken that much a hold of their life. I mean, it's just a, it's not a part of our, our mind and our heart that we, we like to tell other people about. You know, you think about Ananias and Sapphira, why do you think they looked at Barnabas and the praise he received as something that they had to have. Mm. So they were, willing, they were willing to lie to the Holy Spirit and lie to themselves and lie to the apostles. Why do you think it got that far in their lives? Mm. What do y'all think? I think it comes down to that their desire to please men and to receive the adoration of man superseded their desire to please God. It reminds me of Galatians 1.10. Um, for if I was seeking to please man, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. And so I think just this, once again, where their eyes were fixed was not on, okay, here's God, here's how he's been gracious to me. But instead it's, okay, here is my social circle. How can I leverage what I have, even if I have to lie to get there, to raise myself socially? So what, for me, this looks like the little white lies or the, the slight yeah. exaggeration on how many of this or how many of that and how great things are going um, to, to raise myself in, in a social status. I love this principle under envy there in your outlines. If my church experience is mostly about how I look to others, yeah. I've missed the point. How does everybody perceive me? Do they look at me and go, oh, they have it all together or am I willing to go, dude, I'm still, I'm on a journey too, right? Yeah. And, and Ananias and Sapphira were painting a picture. They were somebody they weren't. Yeah. I, I love what Cole said earlier, not to compare you guys. But anyways, I love what Cole said earlier when, when, when he said that, they, I had to say that, it was just funny. But anyway, so I love what he said when, when he talked about that it wasn't the amount they brought. It was that they lied about it. Yeah. They, they had to tell a fib to make themselves feel better, which really gives you engine number three, dashboard engine uh, stuff going on. It's greed. Hmm. Behind all this, that money was more important than anything. They were willing to cash out their influence to have other people think that they had more than they had, maybe. Yeah. Greed, um, we think of Wall Street with greed, but greed, greed even creeps into our lives. 
How do you notice when greed I mean, you guys are in your early 20s, mid-20s now. Oh, early. Late 20s. <laughs> late 20s. All right, I'm, I'm helping you out a little bit. Um, how do you notice greed even at this point in your journey? What would y'all say? Hmm. I think it's really easy to relegate greed in just the, that monetary sense. Um, but I think greed, again, is just that I've got to have it so that everybody else can know that I have it. Um, and it really, I think there's this mirror that we don't necessarily always see between greed and envy. Uh, I think they kind of live in the same lane a lot of the time. And, and for me, it's um, my grip tightens um, around my finances. Uh, it looks like opening that bank account app about five times a day and just making sure it's still there um, when it's like, cool, it's still there. Um, and, and it's the, that all of a sudden generosity is not something that I do cheerfully, but it's something that's like, I'm supposed to do this. Like, yep. oh yeah, I work at a church, I'm supposed to do that. Like, you know, like that's, that, that becomes, instead of this like, man, God, you have been gracious, let's give. Like I'm a steward, it, it, honestly, I'd say it this way. It's when I think I become the owner of my finances versus a steward of my finances. Yep. And that grip tightens. This is mine, not God's. Yep. And you saw it play out in their lives. Look at, look at that principle. No matter how much I give, I can't outgive God. Yeah. So knowing that God is not greedy, we can be greedy because we go, and it goes back to that principle, it's mine. And I think it raises my, as Casey said, it raises my status. Hmm. I will say this. So we started North Star. How old are you, Casey? 27. 27. <laughs> Cole? 27. 27. We started North Star when I was 28. So I was 28. I was one year older than these guys. Just let that sink in. All right. And so I was one year older than these guys when we started North Star. I struggled with greed less then because I had less then. Does that make sense to you? I look at it now and I go, would I be willing to take the risk of starting a church at 52 like I did at 28? 28, it's like, what do I got to lose, you know? At 52, you start weighing out, well, I don't wanna work forever, one day I wanna retire, all that stuff. Greed is like, I love what Casey said, greed is like envy because they, they are almost close cousins. Mm. And we don't see greed set in till we go, no, that's mine. Or I've got to protect this. Ananias and Sapphira missed the engine light. And it cost them. Principle number four, ready? Deception. They devised a plan. Now, think about this. In the story, it said that he got what from his wife before he did it. What was the word? Does anybody remember? He got consent. They thought it wasn't a mistake. They literally thought through how we're gonna tell this. And if they ask you this, how, and this is interesting, because Simon Peter said, you, you've been duped by Satan, basically is what he said. You've been, you've been had. Now, I don't think they lost their salvation. 
I think what it means is, is that the enemy got his foot in the door and he pulled back the door and he got him. Why is deception so quickly tied to the enemy's work in our lives? What would you say? Well, I think you can go back to the garden. That's right. Uh, and and I, I think even a slight switch of this is so obviously the enemy um, completely perverts God's truth and then there's the fall. Um, it's so interesting that in those moments, then Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves to cover themselves up to appear to be something that they weren't. And at least I'll speak for me is that, I mean, we've been sowing fig leaves ever since. Yep. That there's, some, there, there, there's probably shame in their hearts. Oh, we, we can't tell them, we can't be honest about this thing. So here, here's the plan. We're gonna cover this up and no one's gonna know. Um, and it's interesting that when God comes to Adam and Eve, that he doesn't come running through the garden. What's going on? Can't believe you did this. It was a, a plea and invitation back home. Where are you? Where are you? And, and it's like confession in the church and being honest in the church. It's almost like that's become like a dirt, like confession's like a dirty word. Um, but the thing is, is like confession is always an invitation back to God's kindness. Mm. That like, if I screw up with my wife and I'm like, and I have to tell her the truth, it's like, well, it, it, how's she gonna respond? But what's beautiful about our gospel is that we know how our father will respond. He's gonna respond to us as though we've been obedient in Christ. And so it's an invitation back to kindness. And so deception's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend and just lie my way through. And, and the more we deceive, the deeper the hole gets. Yeah. Look, look at the principle. I might fool others for a season, but I'll never fool God, yeah. right? Ananias and Sapphira fooled the early church till, you know, all that happened. But we never really fool God. We can, I can make you think whatever, but ultimately, the Lord knows our hearts, and it leads to principle number five, ready? Which is discipline. Hmm. Probably the one part of this we hate to talk about is that God will discipline, even today, those that he loves. Yeah. So Casey, you had the, the, the blessing, honor, and privilege of growing up in my house, and so... Um, when, when you were disciplined growing up, I think the one time you got in trouble, all right? And so <laughs> when you were just, sorry, Lord, I lied. All right, and so the, when, when you were disciplined, was it hard to remember that I loved you while you were being disciplined? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I would say yes. I, I don't think you understand the need for discipline until you're having to turn around and show it to somebody else. When you've never been in that position before, discipline just seems harsh. So Cole, discipline happened because God had a picture of what he wanted these early believers to look like. Yeah. What was the mold I want you guys to get this, that he was shaping them in that he's also shaping us in. Yeah, it's, it's the person of Jesus Christ, that um, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the prototype of humanity, that if, if we could live just like Jesus, and, he, and so here's the thing, is that Jesus is holy, 
And what's challenging with texts like this is that we seem to want to separate the holiness of God and the love of God. Um, that, That God does have a standard in its perfection, but he loves us while we are still sinners. And so I, I, we have to read these passages, and this is, this is what I've been working through, is I have to read this passage through the view of the cross. Mm-hmm. That at Calvary, where, where Jesus died, that there was the perfect immersion of the holiness of God, that sin is being destroyed, and the love of God as sinners are being brought home. And so it's through this passage that we read, gosh, we, we serve a holy God that like the church here, we should fear, but we also serve a God who rescues and redeems sinners. So we need to read this text through the cross of Calvary. And at the end of the day, God has a picture for you. And he is shaping and molding and growing you into an image. Everybody get this, not to look like your friend, not to look like your mom or dad, but to look like his son. Therefore, anything that's in the way of that, there are times that discipline comes in our lives. And I love this principle. God disciplines those he loves. If you're a child of God, he loves you enough not to just let you go. Why, why? Because the movement continues. And you, now here, this, is, this is the part we've all got to get. We've all got a part in the story. And is my life going to move the movement ahead? Or are there things in my life that have gotten in there that's going to cause the movement in the world that I live in to slow down? I, I found this early this morning. We may force the Lord to discipline us but we never have to force him to love us. At his core, he loves you. But as when Casey was growing up, when Cole was growing up, to Warren and Terry Ragsdale, they loved him too much to let it just go. You find a confrontation with Paul and Peter that happens later in the gospels where there's a, man, you're right. The engine light's on and they nail it. God has a plan to use you and to use me. And my ability and our ability to walk with him will determine how well he uses us. Would y'all pray with me? Father, this is definitely one of those days that I would have chosen not to use the story. Because it's not easy and it's hard. But God, your truth is truth. Maybe you're sitting in the room today and you go, man, Mike, my dashboard light is blinking. I am a follower of Jesus, but I don't know if it weren't for my North Star magnet and that I'm here this morning, anybody would ever know. Because my life during the week doesn't match what I say. Would you select the Lord talk to you, would you? God, I'm sorry. I want my life to count and I want my life to matter. Maybe you're here today and you go, man, Mike, I don't know Jesus. 
but I want to. I've been living a lie, man. I'd love to introduce you to him. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you live for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my personal Lord and Savior today. Welcome home. Father, break us, shape us, and mold us into the people you created us to be. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.